Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, my options are pretty limited today. We'll edit this part out. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. I'll be honest with you. My guest today, my coworker, Liam, great writer, great worker. Got to say, I really appreciate your commitment, your effort, your energy day to day. Was that a better introduction? <laughs> I think that was a little bit of an improvement. Yeah. Although it depends on if we keep the you're fired part or not. All right. Well, that's why we do too. So Today, I want to hit three topics. Number one, everybody's least favorite, but also favorite, least favorite team, the Los Angeles Clippers, who mm-hmm. against all odds made me a fan. Alarming, but it's something that happened. Uh, I'm going to reach out and see what you think about this, if it's a sickness or if it's understandable based on just how pure HGH each possession is with this team in the playoffs. Secondly, I want to do a little media on a guy who takes his fair share of lumps for a large paycheck. But if anybody in the industry earns it, it's Stephen A. Smith. And then finally, we're going to dive into a little project we did looking at the best 10 NFL coaches going into the 2022 season. Now, I don't know if you're on the Mayan calendar or, you know, what you should subscribe to. I don't know, you know, flat earthers. I don't know if you guys have your own calendar. Seems like you might. But 2021 is the actual next year for the NFL. But we want to look at what the coaching crop will look like after the next Super Bowl. We've seen so much how the narrative moves quickly, both in basketball and in football, especially uh, week to week. a narrative can't exist much longer than a, than a week without, uh, you know, going on life support or getting like a second breath of energy breathed into it. But the Clippers, do you know who has the best coaching record facing elimination in the NBA in history? I do. His name is Ty Lu. Ty Lu. You know, When we talk about the best coaches in the game, we talk about a lot of people and we don't talk about Ty Lue and we shouldn't, but it's pretty incredible what they're doing in this postseason alone down 2-0 to the Dallas Mavericks. Remember so long ago, they lost those games at home. It was over. They had to go to Dallas round two. They fall down 2-0 to the Utah Jazz. Utah looks like the far superior team. We all know how that ends. That ends with Rudy Gobert going from one of the best players in the NBA to a bum while I was on vacation, and I totally missed it. (laughs) Rudy Gobert got canceled as an NBA player in six days. It It was truly alarming. And now this series, which may be the masterpiece, down 3-1 to the Phoenix Suns. 
Kawhi Leonard up there in the booth zoning out may as well be at a funeral and honestly may as well be at a rave because he has the same demeanor for both. I don't know what his engagement is with the basketball that's taking place on the court. I don't know if he sleeps with his eyes open. Nothing would surprise me about him at this point. But tell me why I'm wrong for loving them fighting back to force a game six on their home court and bringing this series to a place where we all know it's going to end up tied in game seven with four minutes left. I mean, I've been struggling with this since the formulation of this quasi super team in Los Angeles with the Clippers last off or two off seasons ago now, technically, because the Clippers are like a franchise that you kind of want to root for because they have been so bad for so long. Like you want to talk about the most unlucky and the worst possible teams in NBA history. And the Clippers are near the top, if not at the top as recently as like 2012, even after, I mean, even after they got Chris Paul and had the Lob City era, they still had just like the most tragic things happen of like Josh Smith turning into a superstar for three games and three games only. And what I think was the 2013 semis or the 2014 semis. And so it just keeps on happening where this postseason especially is like the magnum opus of that whole concept because best player goes down. The second guy who has gotten absolutely destroyed in the eye of the public for a year now, a full 12 months, people have been teeing off on Paul George and he steps up. He has crazy games. He's scoring 35 points. He scored 41 the other night. And that's like in any other circumstance, that's something that you want to root for. That's an awesome storyline. That's really exciting. But it's Paul George and the Clippers. Like they have Marcus Morris, who is the epitome of the guy you absolutely despise if he's not on your team, but you love him if he's on your team. They have Reggie Jackson coming out of nowhere to average nearly 20 points a game on like 55% shooting from the floor after he looked like he might not be in the NBA anymore as recently as three years ago and has averaged averaged out to be like a pretty fine player. But now he's, you know, hitting every big shot. And then you have Terrence Mann who had 39 points out of absolutely nowhere. You like him, but then DeMarcus Cousins. Like I, I like watching DeMarcus Cousins play. I don't really like DeMarcus Cousins. It's just such a, it's such a contrast of guys that I, of guys I don't want to root for, but a team and a narrative that I really do want to root for. You're talking about the second most famous Terrence Mann. Number one will always be James Earl Jones in Field of Dreams. Of course. One, two, end of the list. I mean, I guess a great artist or composer could come along and usurp the title. That's very, I mean, that's very reasonable. See, the funny thing about that is that they actually both spell their names the exact same way, which I thought was weird because I don't know if I've ever met somebody who spells Terrence with just one R outside of those two individuals. The Paul George thing is kind of the whole story, right? I think if Paul George wasn't on this team, I think that you could go through that list of, of instigators and people who have obvious reasons for people to either root against them or to see them as complete phonies. But I really think that they would be, if they could center around a more likable driving force, I think the entire conversation would change. Before the reclamation project comes, before the everybody was wrong about Paul George, he doesn't deserve any of this, just gets rained down like a biblical plague on us. Like we're pulling out frogs, like give him, 
give him all the credit. Where were you? Blah, blah, blah. He had an insane game five. And he went a long way to reversing some of the narrative in this postseason and recently. Those free throws are going to haunt him forever as a small sample size, not indicative of what he's done these entire playoffs. So let's be fair there. But he asked for this. He gave himself that nickname. He said, look, I am up to the moment. I want the moment. The ball goes through me. And time and time again, he failed and whimpered and went out in kind of lousy, sad fashion. And that's sports and that's hard. And I don't want to be someone who beats up on this guy because he's a tremendous player capable of being a number one on any given night that can win you a championship as he's proven. But this is the spot he wanted to be in. And when you failed every single time coming up into the time where you might succeed, they haven't won anything yet. You're going to get this. But there's almost an overreaction to him that makes me kind of want to root for him because it became so easy to say, Paul George is trash. Paul George can't do anything. He's going to get you 45 points one night and nine the other. And while that might be true, you want to know what? 88 to 90% of the players in the NBA are inconsistent. And I think some superstars can be inconsistent. Paul George is just inconsistent. He doesn't suck. He's not terrible. So I think it's so funny when we live in this time where it's like, there's only one ring. There's only two teams that can make the finals. Felt like there were so many people just beating up and irrationally mad at Paul George for reasons I could not comprehend at all. That kind of makes me want to see him prove everybody wrong just because it'll break brains. And I think because people will be reluctant to nod to reality of what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with you. It's this reverse. It's just, I mean, it's so easy when it's so easy to pile on a guy, it makes you want to root for him. But Paul George himself, when he speaks in press conferences about certain matters, it makes it very difficult to actually root for him. And so what I was just thinking while you were speaking there is to take the whole kind of thing and wrap it up is what if Paul George was replaced by Bradley Beal on this team? Bradley Beal, everybody, I don't, I've never met a person who doesn't really like Bradley Beal. He's a straight shooter in the press. He's a great player. I'm sure part of the reason that so many people like him is because he's been stuck on a sorry team and doesn't want to force his way out like Paul, well, Paul George didn't really force his way out, but like many other superstars have in the past. But just replacing Paul George with Bradley Beal, I would be so on this Clippers train. It's the you know the instigator aspect i mean i didn't even mention pat beverly but like it would be easier to root for those guys if there was somebody who came across as more likable as the face of it now i'm not saying paul george isn't necessarily you know unlikable or anything like that but you know he had the, that uh media thing that went around on a podcast i think before the bubble where he was already taking victory laps about the clippers championship and then you have the playoff p thing and it's you know you feel for the guy and the amount of hate he gets is bordering on absurd considering he is the number two guy on a championship team. It'd be like everybody piling on Kyrie Irving for not coming through in the 2015 finals because he tore his ACL sort of thing. It's kind of ridiculous. And he isn't there to drag a team to a championship. He is there to help the guy who's dragging the team to a championship. Well, let me go back to my number one 
reason why I think I would be okay with seeing the Clippers win it all. There's this notion that every NBA champion has magically gotten to where they were. Like there was never any struggles. They never fell short in previous years that I wonder if we're losing some of the connectivity about what sports used to be like in the super team era and in the time where you can rebuild and just suddenly be a contender. The way it used to be is build a good team, advance, make the playoffs, maybe make the second round of the playoffs. Then you sneak into a conference finals. Then you eventually win your championship as the previous five or six years have molded you. And that's kind of been like the path for a ton of sports team and still kind of is the majority to winning championships across sports. So why do we not afford the Clippers any slack to do what previous champions have done? And yes, they've done it in a fashion that is embarrassing. The three, one series debacle last year was gross and some of the most disgusting basketball I've ever seen people quitting early in game seven. I mean, it was an abomination, but at the end of the day, they failed short of their goals, which we can argue how realistic it's been for them to be an NBA champion the last few years. Uh, I think that they've achieved about at the level that they should have. So why are they not allowed to build up to the point where they advance, 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 and then eventually get where they're going? I think it's kind of a LeBron James conundrum sort of issue. And not about the super team aspect, although that plays a very large part in it. You can talk all you want about how LeBron is at least partially responsible for this era of player movement and player empowerment where they just stack these teams up and therefore the expectations go up with it. But we collectively as an NBA fan base watch LeBron James go to the NBA finals for eight straight years. And for two, maybe three of those seasons, he got to those finals in spite of what was happening around him. And so because he's LeBron James and there's so much media focus on it, and that's all, you know, we all really want to talk about because when greatness happens in front of your eyes, that's obviously going to be the discussion point. There's become this sort of, association where if a team has a player who has been or is being compared to LeBron James and the way that he dominates a game and the way that he makes his team better, then the expectation is therefore that they should reach the pinnacle of basketball excellence no matter what. And it's totally unfair, but it's sort of that and the rise of this like sort of groupthink aspect and that sort of thing that Twitter has really hammered home and social media as a whole is hammered home where you're just kind of in an echo chamber makes people feel that these teams are falling short if their best player cannot drag them all the way there. And that, and because overarching negative narratives are a little bit more fun to talk about than overarching positive narratives, it's all about, you know, if the Clippers end up losing this series, it's all about what Paul George couldn't do instead of what the Suns are doing. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that there's a reason for that, though, especially in this year. The Suns are not an easy sell as an NBA champion. They're a fantastic team. We have the Chris Paul apology tour, redemption tour, but they are just not a sexy team. They are not a sexy matchup, and they don't have like the drama and the internal big personalities, I don't think, outside of Paul 
that the Clippers do. Yeah, no, that makes that's 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 correct. I mean, DeAndre Ayton is you know a lot of fun, but he's just kind of a he's a nice dude, and that's great. But that's not great conversation fodder in the grand scheme of making content every single day. And Devin Booker is kind of the same way, except for he also dates a Kardashian, but he dates the most low key of all the Kardashians, so there's not a lot to talk about there. And Paul, I mean, you know, his whole career journey is really interesting and it's exactly what you said where he's been banging his head against the door for almost a decade now and each failure is a new type of failure and it would therefore make some sense that he finally reaches you know gets over gets over the mountaintop here but we all know Chris Paul and it's not new or particularly interesting Chris Paul is an insane competitor Chris Paul is very good at basketball Chris Paul makes his teammates much better and unless there's another strong, strong personality on that team who doesn't like Chris Paul, then there's nothing interesting about a Chris Paul-led team. All right, you want to talk a little Stephen A? Yeah, let's do it. So Stephen A. Smith, important to get that last name. I think he's just Stephen A. now. I think if you say Stephen A., you're going to get a 99% acknowledgement that you're talking about ESPN Stephen A. Smith. Is that your number as well? Yes, because he is one of the five to seven individuals that we here at the Big Lead write about who has been granted first name usage in an article. Like him, LeBron, Zion, Steph, things like that, Kawhi, and then there's Stephen A. That's an interesting avenue that I hadn't thought to explore. Like you've really made it when your name is a one namer. Right? Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, you know, in, in every industry, like Cher, Madonna, the latest soccer star, you are really just transcending everybody. And I think the key to first name status is that it has to trickle down that to like almost universal awareness of who this person is, at least if you're in the space or interested in the sphere that they exist in and you bump up against their persona and and their work. And it's impossible to not be aware of Stephen A. Smith because he is on television more than anybody I've ever seen be on television. And he loves it. He turned first take from a show that was kind of looked down internally as this circus into its most important debate show and kind of formed a lot of the supporting programming in its in his image. I caught Stephen A after the Clippers game five victory in the Western Conference final. And it was after midnight and he was on site in Phoenix. And he was joining Scott Van Pelt to break down the game and to give reaction. And what he gave was like three or four minutes of rapid fire, fire hose, observations that were journalistically correct, basketball savvy, understanding the drama, also knowing how to lean into his character in persona. This guy, he gets so much criticism. He's at the center of so many think pieces about what's wrong with ESPN, what's wrong with sports media. He is a punchline. We write about him so much. We post so much stuff that's, hey, can you believe what Stephen A. Smith said today? And that's basically our general tone. Now that 
proves that he's saying interesting things, but it's not always Stephen A. Smith is a genius or Stephen A. Smith has a good point about this. It's just that he's saying stuff, not that he's saying the right stuff. But damn it, dude, there is nobody who could work like 14 hours a day, just summon, be summoned by magic through the ether to come into television and give a 10 out of 10 performance every single damn time. And it's Stephen A. Smith. And he might not be for me 100% of the time. And he's certainly not for everybody, even half the time or any of the time. But he is supremely, supremely talented. And it, and it shines even more when you see him distilling what just happened in a high-level basketball game quickly to then present it to the masses. There's a real skill of journalism and understanding what you're watching and being able to work on a deadline and not resort to tricks because you're on SportsCenter where you have to get the facts and info right or your opinions don't matter. Whereas that's not exactly true on so many of the other programs that involve people yelling at you. Liam, you want to say nice things about Stephen A? You want to just make this a big Stephen A party? Because I know that deep down... A lot of these people who are, you might think that we needle too much or are, are snarky about, there's a deep appreciation for their work and at least acknowledgement of their talent. Absolutely. It's a very interesting conversation for me personally, because I've only entered this business recently, this, this business of being very aware and in tune and almost studying sports media and the personalities that make it up. And before I started this job, I was like most of the people in Stephen A. Smith's Twitter replies who were just like, this guy's a talking head. He doesn't actually have any real sports knowledge. He's just kind of spewing stuff for the sake of being on television and he gets paid well to do it and good for him, but I'm not going to give him any credence. After starting this job and like paying attention to people like Stephen A. Smith and what they say on a day-to-day basis became what I needed to do to, you know, make my job do a good job. I gained a great appreciation that is growing each day for Stephen A. Smith's skills as a performer and a personality, because I compare him, as naturally many people do in my mind a lot, to Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless does not have a personality that makes up Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless's opinions are his personality, and he has leaned so far into it at this point that he, in all everybody's mind, is synonymous with LeBron James Hater, his outward-facing persona is that he spews these absolutely outrageous things, like saying today, for for example, that he didn't have Chris Paul in his top 15 all-time point guards because he doesn't have a ring. That's his entire personality. Stephen A. Smith does have many a hot take, as we've seen on First Take and on Get Up and on all the different shows that he's on and even on Stephen A.'s world. But the opinions that he has, the strong takes that he has are a complement to how he presents them. And I think that's an extremely difficult line to walk as somebody who's on TV as much as he is. And then it makes you appreciate even more when you, you know, you were talking about his post-game analysis stuff. He doesn't really do that anymore, but when he does do it, you can appreciate how he can sort of flip off the switch from, you know, this kind of not, I'm not necessarily accusing him of acting, but this sort of like outsized presentation of the information that he has to make it entertaining for the viewers. And he knows that he has a, grasp of what he's actually supposed to do and so in a post-game analysis role he doesn't need to give some crazy take about Chris Paul or Devin Booker he just needs to present the facts and then he's going to give his you know long-standing well-earned basketball analysis on it and to be able to toggle back and forth like that 
all while working as hard as you mentioned is remarkable. Like we at the big lead, we, you know, we get come up with our own takes and stuff like that. And we don't even do it on camera. And it's hard enough to do that on a day-to-day basis. This guy does it literally seven days a week. He does it yelling many times, but the yelling doesn't take away from his point and the point doesn't take away from sort of this is Stephen A. Smith saying it. The focus is usually, as you said, about what Stephen A. Smith is saying, not what came out of his mouth. There's a, there's a, it's a fire, very fine difference. It's kind of hard to articulate sometimes, but there is that difference and he does it beautifully. Yeah, I just think, and look, I mean, nobody's going to, you know, lose any sleep over Stephen A. not getting his proper credit or not being given enough leverage or not being accepted by an audience or whatever. But I do wonder when someone is branded, you mentioned acting and, and not accusing him of acting. Well, we can say that what he does is ramped up at times and for effect sometimes, just like everybody. Uh, and some of it seems a bit disingenuous and wink, wink, nod, nod. And I think that that's fine. And that's how you entertain people. The E in ESPN stands for entertainment. And he, I think he pretty adroitly like blends the two between entertainment and, and journalism uh, with his with his background, um, I think that he's you know fairly well sourced more than we would we would think. Uh, but I wonder when you get when you brand someone as like, okay, well you can't trust anything that Stephen A. says because he's just doing it for effect. I wonder. I think that those criticisms can be a bit unfair in one way. We don't afford people the ability to react in different ways when we claim they only react in one way, right? If we claim that they're always doing it to make the headline. We don't afford them to be like calm sometimes. We don't afford them the opportunity to punctuate their point by being loud at others. I think by saying that someone is yelling all the time or loud or, or when someone is kind of just going for the clicks, lots of times that can be true, but it takes away a huge part of what they're trying to present by choosing different ways to get their information across, right? So Stephen A chose that way to deliver his information on the post-game Sports Center because it was on Sports Center. He was able to fit into that format. He knows what to do on first take. He knows when he joins a morning show, another morning show for 15 minutes in the morning to, to weigh in on something. He knows what he's doing and he knows how to perform across a multitude of different venues with different inflections and with different approaches. So I, I think a lot of times people don't appreciate the depth and layer of the work because they won't allow themselves to consider that, hey, you know what we think is a detriment for this guy and something to ding him for when it's actually something that shows the full scope of their range, which I think could not be more valuable right now and then going forward as we're trying to figure out how to slice up our own personal content into 75 different slices and sell it all and and sell those individually yeah it's just easy to blanket judgment somebody instead of understanding that they have layers of multitudes i mean off the top of my head i can think of three or four different stephen a smith personas that he embodies like pretty much every day you have the cackling Knicks fan and then you have the I have a take for you Max are you ready for this kind of you know hot take artist sort of persona and then you have his persona of legitimate outrage over social justice issues 
that isn't so much for persona is just him using his platform to adamantly state his opinions that he's afforded to do that. He is more layered than people are willing to give him credit for, but it also is kind of a problem that plays into itself because for a good chunk of the ESPN audience, people don't have it on every single day. They see the latest clip that's making the new, making the rounds on the internet or through text chains or whatever because of something that was said. And because those are usually, while they're often about different topics, are usually connected in some crucial way, like it's outrageous or it's a really unpopular take, then it just makes it easier to create this sort of, you know, like I said before, blanket judgment on a person because of how it circulates and just the consistency of what is circulating. So many times we choose to oh boy, not aggregate, but stand on the shoulders of a great idea and take it to a new level as an homage. I think that that's kind of been part of the big leads ethos since its inception. There was a fair amount of aggregation, but there was also kind of an illusion and hat tip to other places on the internet that were doing things that were interesting. And I thought it was a really good idea by CBS Sports the other day to rank all 32 NFL coaches going into the season. This is not a proprietary idea by any means. It's you, you see stuff like this kind of often, but you want to know what? I'm clicking on it every single time. There's just not a chance I'm not going to click on that because I want to see not only how they've set up their rankings, but also to dive a little bit deeper and try to see like their thought process of what they tried to do to make it stand out. Like, did they put someone crazy at the bottom? Did they put someone who should be 10 at three? I love looking for like those little tricks that they did. Um, and I think so many times when we look at these lists, we're like, oh, that's not my list. Well, you want to know what? You want to know a little secret behind the curtain? When you make your list, editorially, you're doing it to try to stand out and be different a little bit. So maybe you are a lot closer to being on the same page as, as the content creator. So what we decided to do, like in Jurassic Park where nothing went wrong, is to go ahead and make our own list, but imagine that it's happening after this upcoming Super Bowl. And Liam, I don't know about you, but it was a fun thing to do to kind of start with the framework of, okay, well, who's where now? And then projecting out what type of season is going to play out for this person and what is going to be kind of like our collective understanding of what that means for this particular coach. So I'll get it kicked off here. And we, we, we did the top 10. So I'll start with 10 and we'll just go through these and offer a few thoughts uh, back and forth. But Number 10, I got, we got Frank Wright with the Indianapolis Colts. And I think it's so interesting about him because I think he has a really good reputation as a coach. I think he's kind of seen as a grinder as he should be after waiting so long to get an NFL head coaching gig. I thought what he did last year was really impressive with Philip Rivers as his quarterback. I was out on Philip Rivers. I was out of 
I was out on Philip Rivers as they continued to win ball games and make the playoffs. I thought that that's a testament to right using a lackluster roster. I, I know that there's some young skill position players that are exciting for for the Colts, but I think that he's I think that he's maximized the potential in all three years that he's been in the NFL and projecting out. I expect. I think, and I think we're on the same page with this, that Carson Wentz probably isn't done. There's a player in there. He's going to work with not just a guy who played quarterback himself has been privy to some of the greatest of all time. I think he's a real student of the game. That's what everybody seems to think about him. I think that Carson Wentz for as bad as things got in Philadelphia and they were bad because Carson Wentz seems like a pretty chill dude. There was a lot of leaking going on on that side. So just how bad did things have to be? I think he's one of those guys who will benefit from a new environment. And I think we're going to look back at the end of this season and be like, you know, who's consistently getting the most out of his teams. And it's not just a fluke. It's four times out of five years that year that he underachieved. I don't think that that roster was capable of, of competing for the playoffs. I think people will be looking back and saying, Frank, Wright." Well, yeah, the one year that they underachieved was because their starting quarterback retired three weeks before the season. I think you can cut, cut a guy some slack for that. And even then they weren't, they weren't that bad, despite the fact that they were starting Jacoby Brissett fresh off the bench behind Tom Brady but I like Frank Wright. I think that, you know, the mid, you know, it's hard to project shit like this, but Indianapolis is more Carson Wentz's speed personality-wise from everything we know about this guy than Philadelphia was. And then you pair that with the fact that he had his best year under Wright when he was offensive coordinator for the Eagles that led to a championship. And the fact that he was abysmal last year. It's a very similar, very similar thought process to what I have on Cam Newton. They were so bad last year that they have to be better this year. Even if it's only marginally, there will be some improvement. And what makes this exercise interesting in projecting it is you have to think about, okay, how will the team do based on its, how it's currently constructed? And then how much of that can be attributed to the skill and the acumen of the head coach? And in the Colts case, I think they're a playoff team. And I think making it to the playoffs, they have an excellent defense, but Wright's thing is offense. And they are going to make the playoffs with Carson Wentz, a man, a quarterback rather, that many people proclaim to be broken as recently as six months ago. Probably even more recent than that, considering how often people like to talk about him on the TV show and things like that. With his number one receiver being like a 32-year-old T.Y. Hilton, who is good but has never truly been great. And then Zach Paschal, who is fine, and Jack Doyle at tight end and his old buddy who threw or who threw Foles, the Philly special in the Super Bowl. Like these are not, this is not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And obviously that's true, but I, th I think Reich is a good coach. The Colts have been consistently successful despite going through a rotating door of quarterbacks the entire time he's been there, which is super, super difficult as, as everybody has spoken about over the last couple of years. It's very hard to do that. And he's just, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a good redemption story. And I think that while we have him on number 10 on this list, if the Colts win the AFC South, which is a very good chance of doing so, considering the Jaguars and the Texans are not going to be very good and the Titans are going to be good, but one other good team in the division doesn't make for a difficult divisional slate. 
then I think Reich is probably going to be the leader in the clubhouse for coach of the year because you have to take narrative into account there. And there probably will be no better narrative in the NFL this year than Frank Reich reviving his old quarterback and turning him back into a Pro Bowl caliber player. All right, number nine, probably the most surprising name I think people are going to be most taken aback that this person's up there. But we landed on Kevin Stefanski. Defend that for me. I will. I think uh, people are going to be low on Stefanski because, and I understand why, this was a little bit of a common theme in discussions about Coach of the Year last year, but he won Coach of the Year because he took the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs. Totally get that. Browns were not good previous season with the Freddie Kitchens failed experiment. They are the Browns. Kevin Stefanski comes in, he makes them a good enough offense, and they almost beat the Chiefs, admittedly, who are not did not have Patrick Mahomes, but still, they were in the AFC Divisional game. That's farther than the Browns have made it in God knows how long. He is a genius play caller. Everybody, especially Baker Mayfield, now has a complete grasp of this offense after a joke of an offseason last offseason because of the COVID protocols. They couldn't execute. They couldn't really get on the field. He's going to be much better. They have, they're bringing back pretty much everybody who made that team good last season. And Stefanski, I think, I mean, the guy has found success on offense wherever he's gone. I mean, he took Case Keenum to the, the NFC championship game. And Case Keenum left Minnesota that year and is now a perennial backup. Like, this guy is awesome. Baker Mayfield, you can have your opinions about how good of a quarterback Baker Mayfield actually is, but last season he proved he can execute the offense and he has the arm talent to make pretty much any throw, and he's mobile. He can't ask for much better in a Stefanski-led offense. The success on the field will be there, and he's designing the offense, which will probably be one of the better in the NFL. I mean, I don't know how you can't consider this guy. So I think I can sum up the defense of Stefanski with one thing. He's won the type of game that if you want to be a coach on this list, on this top 10, if you want to elevate to the top, the way that these people stand out, these coaches stand out, he's won one of those games. Playoffs in Pittsburgh. That's kind of all you need to say. That's all you, that's all you need to say. You think there was no sense of fear and you want to know what? They went out and they blitzed them. Sure, they got lucky, but they did not wilt. They could have wilted. That game started tipping the other way. It's like, okay, what is this guy going to do now that he has found money? Is he going to lose it on his way out of the casino? No. And I think when you've already been in that situation once in your life where nobody thinks you can do it, and then you start doing it, and then it starts getting a little shaky, that's where you would see the, a coach panic. I don't think that he did. And I think that that one win alone is reason enough for me to think, that the Browns are in the mix. Number eight, this one, people are going to say he's too low. It's Sean Payton. I think that Sean Payton right now is maybe top five, maybe six. He's accomplished so much. I think that this year is going to be really rough. It's going to be so difficult to start a new era. Drew Brees was a security blanket, a coach on the field, any type of cliche you want to talk about but i mean just imagining going into your existence your post breeze existence and your one answer for everything to this point has been the one that's confounded everybody and that's an almost bizarre obsession with Taysom hill uh i think that there's so many different ways that the saints can go wrong this year 
when it comes to management of the most important spot on the roster that I'm not expecting good things and fair or otherwise, I do think that we're going to get to a point if the saints struggle where the, Oh, was it, was it breeze or was it Peyton and whatever capital Peyton has built up with a success. You can make the argument that he's underachieved for the type of talent they've had and past they've had over the last 10 years. But once Breeze gets further in the rearview mirror, it's going to be more about what he accomplishes without him. And you know that more than anybody being a Patriots fan. It is true. I think Peyton is going to find significantly more success in his first post Hall of Fame quarterback season than Bill Belichick did if only because the quality of the roster is significantly higher. And Peyton is among the best play callers in the NFL. And I think he'll be successful this season, and he will remind everybody why he's such a great coach for one pretty simple reason, that no matter who is starting a quarterback, he is going to design an offense that is perfectly suited to their strengths and weaknesses because he gave the Saints a playoff-caliber offense last year while Drew Brees couldn't throw it further than 15 yards down the field. Hall of Fame quarterback or no, that's a significant hamstring to have for any offense. And he not only designed an offense that was good enough to win games, they ended up in the playoffs as a result. They didn't make it very far, but they were still in the playoffs. And now, you know, maybe the Saints don't win as many games because of Breeze's clutch factor, ball placement, or whatever intangible thing you want to throw out there that might prevent them from winning more games, but if they have the same record or even a slightly worse record, I think they're going to have a much better offense because Peyton's playbook is going to open up again in a way that it hasn't since 2016, maybe. And I think he's just going to remind everybody of that. Number seven, this guy wasn't on CBS's list of top 10. And I don't think he's going to have a particularly good year this year. I was so shocked he was in a mission based on what he's done in his career. And I think you felt the same way. Number seven, we have Mike Tomlin. Uh, quickly, I, I will just say he has never had a losing season as a head coach. Pretty good. 14 Pretty years. Uh, ultimate sideline persona. I think if you were to create a modern sports coach embodying the type of personality and demeanor they want and approached kind of able to bridge tough, hard nose with thinking. I think Mike Tomlin would kind of be like your aggregate product. What are, what are your thoughts on Tomlin? I know that you and I were really uh, in lockstep about making sure he was on this list, even though we don't think the Steelers are going to amount to much. Yeah, I agree that the Steelers have a little bit too much working against them to be considered you know, AFC favorites. I don't even know if there'll be the AFC North favorites considering how hard that division is. But I think that while Stefanski was well-deserving of the Coach of the Year award last year, if you want to just look at it from a pure coaching perspective and nothing else, I don't think there was anybody better than Tomlin because that was a team and they've carried over a lot of their pieces this year. So it is, it is a team with a lot of really significant flaws, most notably at quarterback. And to be able to, you know, they did get embarrassed in the playoffs by their divisional rivals, and that's a tough thing to come back from, to be sure, especially when it's the Browns. But he won the AFC North with Ben Roethlisberger having by far the worst season we've ever seen from him, with the running backs not giving anything, really, to the offense, 
by just building an elite defense. And you put that together with his lengthy resume of just being able to win football games. And, you know, they're on a, on a list like this, the one factor that you always have to keep in mind is who would you rather have than this guy? And there is a very short list of people who I'd rather have than Mike Tomlin in a vacuum. Number six, Sean McDermott, Buffalo Bills. I love this guy. He looks like the type of guy who wears a pocket t-shirt and works out in his garage. <laughs> he looks like a guy who nothing thrills him more than waking up at 4.30 in the morning and going fishing. Um, I, he's been a tremendous success with the bills and largely recently because he trusted Josh Allen, the Josh Allen experience uh, is kind of being retconned to say that everybody believed that this was going to work. And we all knew this was the type of player he was going to be. Uh, I don't think so, but fantastic offensive team only going to get better this year. I wouldn't want to play a tight game with this guy I wouldn't want to play a low scoring game with this guy, but I also wouldn't want to see him down 11 in the fourth quarter with that offense and kind of like his fearlessness and his ability to go for the glory and not really be afraid what anybody thinks. I think that he's a really good, independent, fearless leader. And I love his defensive acumen. And the Bills defense was really up and down last year, which was a really big surprise because of how good he is on that side of the ball. But every year that McDermott has been in Buffalo and going back to when he was with the Panthers, his teams ranked in the top half of the league in takeaways, uh, total takeaways. And then with the Bills, in I think he's been the coach there for four seasons, and three of the last four seasons, they've been top 10 in takeaways per game. That is coaching. If it comes, if it goes across two teams, it's coaching. And obviously personnel plays a certain amount to do with that. But in terms of coaching guys to punch the ball, to always, you know, the, the teaching guys like Tredavious White how to turn into two ball hawks after I think he coached Peanut Tillman in Carolina for a little bit there. That is, that's something that you can attribute to coaching. It's one of the very few tangible statistics sort of things that you can point to a coach and be like, that guy is why this is happening. And that's why I, I agree with everything you said, but my great appreciation for McDermott really comes from that side of the ball. And I think he's, you know, he might not be a better coach per se than Bill Belichick because not many people are, but his team is definitely going to be better than Bill Belichick this year. Five reigning Super Bowl champion, Bruce Arian. <laughs> it was cool to see him win. Uh, I, no other coach I'd want to be with a, a, at a championship parade with. Just a cool vibe. Like if he invited you down to Florida for the weekend, you know, you'd be getting after it. Uh, you know, and you probably get a sunburn. That's, that's my thoughts on, on Bruce Arians, but roster management, fantastic last year. Uh, he unlocked something in Brady that for whatever reason, wasn't there at the tail end of, of new England. And I don't think that we need to go crazy. I don't think he's ever been a top five coach before. This is like his apex. I don't know what his ceiling is because his success will largely be seen as coming via Brady, but we expect that there's going to be a boatload of it coming again this year. And we would not be surprised at all if he was back-to-back -back Super Bowl champion Bruce Arians. And at that point, you got to put him 
very high up on the list. Yeah, that's pretty much, it's just indisputable. I think the Bucs are going to have the best offense in the NFL this year. Now that Brady is, knows the playbook from day one, Arians has had an entire offseason to make those tiny little adjustments on the margins that takes an offense from great to elite. And I would finally like to say that I think Bruce Arians is a big Bloody Mary guy. And I think if I were to go down to Florida with him, we would get up in the morning and play golf and he'd be three Bloody Marys in before we teed off. Which is what you want. Definitely. I can't do it, but I admire people who can. You know, I don't, the next guy doesn't seem like a Bloody Mary guy. Uh, He seems like a, uh, boy, I don't know, like a, a cucumber vodka. Uh, something very health conscious. Uh, it's, one of them, uh, it's one of them grass vodkas, like the zero calorie, like grass vodka thing. My dad likes that stuff. If he's drink- drinking, whatever he's drinking, he's found the fountain of youth. And, uh, I'm, you know, he's like the best version of what I would look like if I, uh, if, if I could put muscle on my frame. So respect to him. Uh, <laughs> And you know that's that's actually pretty accurate. Um, you look a lot like him. I never thought of that. So you know, it's number four is Sean McVay. Won a Super Bowl at thirty three. Has is being seen as taking a step back the last two years. You know why? His quarterback was Jared Goff. His quarterback yep. is no longer Jared Goff. It's Matt Stafford. Number one Stafford fan over here. I want nothing more than for him to hoist one because. People need to appreciate what kind of player this dude is. Uh, but even for golf, 19 and 13 the last two years, it's not like they stunk. Uh, he's never had a truly terrible season. He's been there. Um, he has 20, 25 more years if he wants to keep doing this to build a legacy. And I don't know if there's going to be a time where he falls off too much because he is forward thinking and he will always look to reinvent himself. Yeah, I think if he changed absolutely nothing about his offense, the Rams will be significantly better in every category and win more games just because of the talent gap and the skill gap between Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. And the biggest criticism of McVay over the last since the Super Bowl trip was his inability to adjust when defenses borrow the Patriot blueprint to stopping him. But the guy is 37 now. I mean, he's still so young. He has a lot of room to grow. And I think he's smart enough to retool an offense around Matt Stafford's arm talent. And I mean, ultimately you do have to look at, you know, kind of the larger resume here. And even though his is short, it's as impressive as we've seen from any coach in the span of a very short time. Number three, John Harbaugh. We love this guy. I love that he's become the better Harbaugh brother and will likely always be. That was a corner I was on a long time ago, has proven correct. When I think about him, okay, let me let me say when I said about what Stefanski, that win he had against Pittsburgh, well, Harbaugh has like 12 of those yeah. in the playoffs. And that's the type of win I'm talking about. And no person on this list is better at doing it. If you had to give me one coach to go win an impossible road game in the playoffs, I'm taking John Harbaugh, and that has to be worth a lot. I wouldn't take John Harbaugh, but I do agree that he's a really great coach. And I think that because he's been so good, everybody's sort of numb to it by now. He's facing criticism for not taking the Ravens to the next level when he had to change the team on the fly to fit around Lamar Jackson two years ago and it resulted in an MVP trophy. I mean, the guy's a great coach. 
you know, there, I think there are legitimate questions about the roster's ceiling, but that has nothing to do with Harbaugh. And I think with a player like Jackson and the smart coach like Harbaugh, the sky really is the limit once they make the required adjustments. And based off of what Harbaugh's done in the past, how can you bet against them? And finally, I mean, I guess this is the this is the big reveal uh, in CBS. Andy Reid was number one. Uh, I don't think we much cared for that. Um, let's just go quickly. Let's compare the two, right? Let's yep. compare Super Bowl championships between Belichick and Reid. Pretty lopsided. Last time I checked, Reid just had the one. How many does Belichick have? Six with the Patriots, eight overall. Okay, so that's more than one. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is known for postseason success. One was largely known for postseason failures for the first 20 years of their career. Is that right? That is correct, yes. Okay, I'm just seeing if I'm missing anything. And, and I know I think that Reed is number one because it's more interesting uh, and I hesitate to ask a Patriots fan to just go off on Belichick, but just give me your best two or three minutes why Belichick is number one on this list. And then maybe like what it would take to ever knock him off that. Well, it's similar to what we were talking about with Reich. You know, it's the, the team success. You have to take into account the pieces that the coach has to work with and how he brings those pieces to their potential. And last year, Belichick failed in doing any of that. But the Patriots didn't have an identity last year. With Cam Newton at the helm, the kind of the idea was that they were going to be a defense run first team that only made Newton throw when he had to. But then they lost a bunch of guys to uh, who decided to opt out of the season because of COVID and they had injuries. And so the defense part kind of fell away. And then Cam Newton was way, way worse than anybody thought he would be when he was actually throwing the ball. And it was just a disaster overall. Belichick was so disgusted by this, he overhauled the entire team and addressed every single weak spot in free agents. That usually doesn't work out for people, but for Bill Belichick, if it's going to work out for anybody, it's going to work out for Bill Belichick. I think that Reed is a really excellent offensive coach, and Belichick is an excellent defensive coach, which is why it's such an uh, interesting discussion to have. But I ultimately think that it is more difficult for Belichick to put his players in the best position possible to succeed than Reed simply because of the talent Reed has to work with. I'm only talking about this year. If we're talking body of work, you can talk about the Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes thing for another hour on a podcast. But this is the year for Belichick to prove that is true. If the Patriots are an average team or a slightly above average team with the amount of talent that they now have, you can only blame the quarterback so much. And I think the the Chiefs are going to be great no matter what. So it's really a matter of how well Belichick can get everybody to perform as a unit this year that will determine whether he or Reed is the better coach right now. Yeah, I'm excited about this. I think that we're going to get, I think that we're going to nail this. I, I really look forward to calling this up after the next Super Bowl and see what it looks like. Liam, this has been fun. I'm sorry I fired you at the top of the podcast. Um, we will just edit that out and pretend that nothing ever happened. Sounds good to me. Just don't tell, uh, don't tell me. me.
Nicholson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.